Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 26. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 157. We will be starting with the seventh paragraph and reading through the three paragraphs and ending with when I was trying to fight this booze racket. Today's readers are Ginger C., Deb W., and Larry K., the reference number for Tuesday, October 25th, is 9204. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Julie. Good morning to everyone. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, pardon me, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result, of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Janice M. And I will now ask Naomi B. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, my family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. One, 12 traditions, one. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted to service. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting our other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issue. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. Twelve, anonymity is a special foundation of all those traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service this month, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderator is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 157, starting with the seventh paragraph reading through three paragraphs, ending with when I was trying to fight this booze racket. The first two <laughs> paragraphs are read for context only, and we will focus our comments on the third paragraph read. I will now ask Ginger C. to begin reading. Good morning, and thank you for your service, Julie. This is Ginger C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Colorado. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. I prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by 9 o'clock I'd be oiled as an owl. Next day found the prospect more receptive. He had been thinking it over. Maybe you're right, he said. God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. And when I read this paragraph for reflection, it takes me back to the doctor's opinion on the bottom of 24 where it says, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. 
So when I look at that first sentence on the next day, found the prospect more receptive, why is Bill more receptive? And most importantly, it's because he's put his food down or his alcohol. He's in the hospital and he's clean and he's sober and he's able to hear this message that Bill and Bob are bringing. And it reminds me of this time last year because on October 30th, I was sitting in the Vision for You meeting and it was my first morning after an 18-month binge where I was clean and sober and without my food. And I fell apart in that meeting and one of the many angels that were there that weekend took me outside. And she said, I told her that I had all my binge food up in my room and that I didn't know why I was here. And she said, you're more than welcome to go eat today, but I'd really hate for you to have traveled all this way to miss this opportunity because this program, this event starts this evening. And the hand of God came into me that day. And I'm especially reaching out to anyone who's suffering because you just don't know when your window is going to be rolled down and that God opportunity is going to come. I had no idea that I'd be beginning this path of recovery on that morning. But I went up with her and I handed over all my food. And then that night, one of the beginnings of all these miracles from this power of a higher power, God, came because I heard Harlan speak and I heard him share his story and I felt hope for the first time that absolutely that I had hope that I could get out of the nightmare of the food insanity that I was in. But again, it all starts with entire abstinence. I had to put the food down. I could no longer play around. I could not have my cake and eat it too. Entire abstinence means entire It's the one piece that I think I kept relapsing over. So again, this reception is because of his mind. He was cleared. And he was getting into his heart and he was receiving this message from God that we've all been so gifted and granted and in every one of us that has recovered on the line this morning because of this hand that touched us. And now we get to touch others and help one another one alcoholic to another. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. And who would like to share on the last paragraph read? Nessa R. Nessa R. Larry. Paula D. Kim G. Paula D. Okay, hold on. Paula D. Kim G. And Maureen M. Yes. Great. Melissa C. Melissa C. Why don't we start with this? So Nessa R. and then Larry K. Go ahead, Nessa. Nessa. Hi. Yeah, I was I was unmuted. Uh, good morning, vision for you. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. So um, you know, two two things blocked me from God. The first one was the food. Um, and I put the food down many, many times before. You know, I, I went on many different diets throughout my life, some of them more drastic than others, um, and some of them worked and some of them didn't. Um, but I, I didn't recover. Um, I didn't recover because I was missing the second piece. The second piece 
is that I was I was blocked by myself, my own character defects, my selfishness, my fears. And so I needed the second piece, you know, entire abstinence was a prerequisite, but I needed the steps to get the self out of me. Um, because up until then, you know, I've gone on many diets and I had prayed to God, you know, uh, and I thought I had a relationship with God, but the relationship with God was on my terms. You know, it was about what I was expecting God to do for me, what I needed from God. And, you know, it wasn't until I applied um, the steps to my daily life that I realized that this relationship is not going to work, you know, when I'm only focused on what I need from God instead of focusing on what God needs from me. And so that's why the steps are necessary, you know, to get me out of my selfishness, get, get me out of my agenda, and get me out of my fears and living on, on God's terms, focus on what is that God demands from me today to be of service to him and to be of service to my fellows. So without those two pieces, and they've got to be in order, first entire abstinence and then working the steps, um, there's no relationship with God to be had. Um, you know, I tried that. I tried that in different permutations, not, not really knowing that those were the two pieces. But I tried entire abstinence by the way of diet without um, getting rid of the, the self. And I tried a relationship or a so-called relationship with God without entire abstinence, and that didn't work either. Um, it wasn't until I cleared my body of the allergy by putting the food down entirely and then working the steps that opened me up to a brand new, amazing relationship with my creator that um, enabled me to become recovered and enabled me to stay recovered uh, today as long as I keep practicing these principles in all my affairs. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. And Larry Kay, followed by Paula D. Thanks, Julie. Um, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. You know, what, what Ginger read, you know, it's, it's, this is about what, what was happening to Bill D back in the, in the 1930s is, can be precisely what happens to you. Um, it certainly happened to me, which was we, the message is carried to us and we identify in. And that's what happened to Bill D. That's what happened to me. We identify in, you know, um, you know, the, the, now we could just as easily identify out. And if we, if we, if we identify out, then obviously we're going to continue to work this alone. What I heard Ginger talking about is she was doing this alone. And you, and you may come in, you know, to this program um, with a, a firm belief in a higher power and yet still go in this alone. That's the paradox. Because you may think, well, I, I have a belief in, in a higher power. I have a firm belief in God. I have certain things I do. And yet we're still trusting in our finite selves rather than that very infinite power that we profess that we believe in. And I think that was the case for me. I had to at some point, just like Bill D, concede to myself that I, I couldn't do this, couldn't solve this, uh, this food racket, this booze racket alone. I must have help from a power outside of myself. If it begins and ends with my own actions, with this, with this malady, oh boy, I'm in trouble. 
become clearly in trouble. So there's a process, I think, where Bill D, again, you know, we've heard that this was before there was the 12 steps as we've come to know them, right? It was the, the Oxford group and they had principles that were, um, you know, somewhat similar to what we do now. But there was some form of identification that Bill D saw in Bill and Dr. Bob and recognized that, because this guy was a deacon in his church. He was an attorney. He was a deacon in his church at one time. This guy had a belief in, in, in a power, you know, but he just, it just hadn't worked for him. So something had to change. Something fundamentally had to change for him. And when it did, he began to change. His thinking changed. And that made all the difference in the world. So wrapping up, we could come to vision for you with a firm set of beliefs in God, with a firm theology. And we could come here every day and our actions don't change because we're, being wait, we're waiting to be sprinkled with pixie dust as if this is magic. And I'm here to tell you from my experience, there's no magic. There's no magic. But there's, there's hope. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Paula D. followed by Kim G. This would be Paula D. And thank you for your service today, Julie. Much appreciated. Always appreciate the opportunity I have to be here. Because so often I do not. But I would like to open with a statement. And you will see how it relates here. And I am recovered by and with the grace of God. This morning I am in Florida. This evening I will be in Boston. Now, geographically, let's watch this man, but it's more than geographic here. The heart beats, the lungs breathe, and the mind thinks. And this is where we're coming to, the mind thinks. I pray, pray to God on hangover morning. Someone doesn't say anything before the hangover, does he? And swan, I never touch another drop up by 9 o'clock to be boiled as an owl. And I'm not quite sure what being boiled as an owl is, not being an owl, understanding but I do know what a compulsory it is, and I do know how often I prayed after, after. And this part, next day, found the prospect. I always think of a prospector, and they're always seeking and looking for something. Oh, Lottie, this man struck gold here. More receptive. He had been thinking it over. Ah, so the heart beats, the lungs breathe, and the mind thinks. Maybe you're right. God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. There is the ego. They're always our biggest problem, the selfish. Well, I can do it. I can do it. And yet every time I did it, the failure came. The failure came. You know, I'm just going to zero back. Just boomerang just for a bit. And I'll come back here. XXB being mindful of the time here. After they succumb to the desire again, as so many do, no judgment here because I was among the many, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages, we know them, of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. Unless that person can experience mind thinks an entire psychic change there is very little hope of his recovery here's where I want to go to though 
Well, we lost you, Paula. Paula, star one. Hmm. Hello? Hello? Did I, get lost? did I get lost, Julie? You did. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know where I went at all. But how about this? I'll just read this line. I need to close the eyes here because this is a wonderful line to end on. On the other hand, not to begin, and changes this may seem to those who do not understand. Once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person, ah, is Bill D., who soon doomed, who had so many problems, he the spirit of ever asking them, suddenly finds himself able to control the desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary, come on in, guys, being that required to follow a few simple rules. Don't make them complicated. That's your ego. Thank you for allowing me this time, and I do apologize for that strange disruption. <laughs> Thank you again, Julie. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Uh, Kim G. And then what Maureen page, M. Please? What page, please? We're on page 158. With the first, we're going to be sharing on the paragraph, the first paragraph. Thank you, Kim G. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim J, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader. And I think uh, Ginger asked a great question: Why was he more receptive? You know, I think not only is this a beautiful story about the growth of fellowship, but it's a good lesson for us who are recovered on how we sponsor, how do we approach the newcomer? Because we see here it is problem, 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 problem. And then when he asks how you escape, that's when they tell him the solution, and that's when he's going to be receptive because the desperation of step one. You know, I remember I was working with someone a couple years ago, and we're going through the chapter working with others, and we're talking about this concept of problem, problem, problem. And she said to me, she's like, Kim, you know, I'm a pharmaceutical sales rep. She goes, this is like my training classes. You know, they teach us, don't sell the blood pressure medication, sell the need for the blood pressure medication. And once you sell the need for the blood pressure medication, the sale of the drug is absolutely easy. And I remember thinking about that, and a couple days later, I'm watching TV, and there's a Viagra commercial. And they're not talking about Viagra. All they have is pictures of gorgeous women. And those pictures of gorgeous women are going to create a need for a man to want Viagra. And that's what I think is happening here, is that need is being being stoked in Bill D because he's had this happen eight times. Why not the other eight times that he's been in the hospital? Because he was told the truth about his disease. You know, I just want to ask if you want to come to the, to the table of contents because one of the things that confused me about the big book many years in the way is, you know, I had a, a 12 and 12 that said chapter one was step one, chapter two was step two. How do you work the steps in this big book? So if you go to the table of contents on page five, the doctor's opinion is going to tell me the diagnosis. Hour to the body, obsession, the mind. Do I identify in with that disease concept? Then I'm going to be studying Bill's story. If I understand the disease concept, what does it look like in a human being? Do I identify in with Bill? Do I drink, do I eat like Bill drank? Do I feel like Bill felt? Do I think like Bill sank? And there is the solution is going to confront me with what it means not to be a compulsive overeater, the moderate eater, the heavy eater, or the true compulsive overeater. And then comes the real, the real slam of it and more about alcoholism because this is not a chapter about people that are drunk and can't get sober. These are, these are stories about people that are sober and make the insane decision to pick up 
Bill's been in the hospital eight times. He's been sober. And he says he walks out of that hospital, he picks up again. Why is that? And those four chapters are our step one chapters. Those are the four chapters that are going to be the need to go through the rest of the work. If I don't have the need, if I don't understand that step one doesn't tell me not to drink, which is what I thought for years, step one is telling me if I have the allergy to the body, obsession of the mind, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink, unless I have a spiritual experience. And suddenly I'm interested in what that spiritual experience means. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Maureen M., followed by Melissa C. Hi, good morning. My name's Maureen M. I'm grateful recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just get one word from this reading, and, and that is surrender. Um, sounds like he's tired of doing it his way, and uh, he's becoming open. He's been honest, and now he's becoming open. And uh, willing is the next step. Um, and the steps are the key. I know for me, when I relapsed a couple of times in this program, um, I did not have the steps in my life. I did not have a sponsor. Um, I was going in alone. I could do this. I've been in other programs. I, I, got, I got this. You know. Um, I'm since extraordinarily grateful that my higher power sent me a sponsor and I did work the 12 steps in order. I'm currently enjoying 10, 11, and 12 beyond my wildest dreams and feeling just a miracle. Um, There's something else I wanted to say about that. when I I know I know the exact time and place where I surrendered, and I was in the food, and it was at that moment that I said, "This is it. Tomorrow's my birthday. Tomorrow is my birthday. I am becoming a new person with my higher power. I'm getting a sponsor." I'm working these steps. I made a decision. And that has made all the difference, really. The honesty, the open-mindedness, the willingness, um, the belligerence, the arrogance, the denial all fell away. I'm not saying they don't dog me every now and then, which is why we have 12 steps, 10, 11, and 12. Sometimes you've got to go back. But it is wonderful. Thank you, and I'm, I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you, Maureen M. And Melissa C., you're next. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, you know, so my spiritual experience um, was an awakening, you know, much like the way um, that I've always woken up that I see is sort of being described here. It's a slow coming to my senses. It's a slowly gaining consciousness. You know, I I don't jump up wide awake. Um, you know, I'm certainly better today that I'm not hungover from a binge, but I still kind of come to my senses and I wake up slowly, you know. And so like him here at first, I could not fathom how God existed or 
cared about me and my eating and my weight problem. Um, you know, and then I thought, okay, maybe, maybe there is a God, but he's never helped me much, you know, and I could recall all the times I begged and pleaded to God to give me what I want, you know, thinness, another baby, more money. Um, and he didn't deliver, you know, so this was my proof, um, that he didn't exist because how could I believe in something that didn't give me what I deserved, you know, never mind that I was holding on to the food in my weight loss scheme, you know, with an iron grip. Um, you know, I would cry in the morning when nothing in my closet fit me and my stomach was aching and I would go to make the kids lunches and there was no snacks left, um, you know, cause I ate it all and I swear I was done and I'd ask God for help. But by the time I was driving to work, um, I was going to the drive-thru, you know, and why? You know, what was different? Um, what's different? You know, I was always trying to do this on my own. I was trying to fight this alone. Um, and what happened to me was that I really took step one, thoroughly surrendered, um, stripped down, stopped telling God, you know, or this program what I needed, and I surrendered. You know, I had no ideas left, Um and then step two was sort of a natural, it was a slow but natural um, result. You know, I knew and I continue to know that there's something greater than me. There must be um, because I'm still breathing, you know, despite it all. And at that point, I decided to cooperate. And, you know, I still need to cooperate. I still need to um, remind myself that um, my recovery is is crucially important. I can't take it for granted. I can't say, well, I've had X number of years now. Surely it's not so serious anymore. It's deadly serious, you know, and um, and the only way that I can remain uh, willing and connected to a higher power is um, that I recommit every single morning and throughout the day, um, you know, thoroughly and completely. And uh, thank you with that all pass. Thank you, Melissa C. I'd like to remind everybody that we are reading the first, um, I'm commenting on the first paragraph of page 158. Would anyone else like to share? Charles H. Charles H. Leah M. Leah M. Okay, well, we'll start with um, Charles H. and then Leah M. Julie, I love you. Represent. Thank you. 4 a.m. Service Bunny. Love you so much. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater just for today. You know, I had to do a 10-step, man, um, on that second meeting yesterday. You know, when when that, 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 that lovely person asked that great question and, you know, and Kim G. really nailed it. And then somebody else, I had to do a 10-step. You know, I'm like, where, where are we getting, where is the message getting blogged? from people that listen to this meeting every day, and, we, you know, we can't be killing people, man. It says, next day, found the prospect more receptive. And then, and then not going to the next paragraph, but you know I'm going to do it. I'm an addict. On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction to his creator. So right there is clear cut. You know, yeah, we need to defog and put all the food down. You know, I was taught, you know, Ginger C, I love you, man, because you know what? Like, you, you, you told the truth. I had catch-up at the convention, too. There's phones. And, and thank you, Roseanne, for letting us know that, you know what, conventions and all that is, is so great. And, uh, you know, but, you know, most people at the conventions are ordering takeout. 
behind their back, deceiving. You know, and, and I like what Bill D says. You know, I, you know, he he sure God didn't do much for me when when I was trying to fight this thing alone. <laughs> he can't do nothing for you. He gives us free will. Yo, go ahead, go, go do what you're gonna do, and uh, you're gonna come back anyway. Either you come back in a box or you're gonna come back willingly. So, um, you know, I love what Ginger C said, man. She had this stuff. I talked to many men in New York, and they're like, you know what? I got the stuff in my house, and uh, I ain't going to put it down. All right. You know, what? what I, you think I got the power to have this? I didn't have the power for me to put it down. It was scary. You know, it was, it was, it was, but, uh, you know, I blame God for stuff that he ain't got nothing to do with. You know, self-will has nothing to do with God, right? So, um, you know, I talked to a few men yesterday. They were like, you know what, uh, I don't really think, uh, I said, okay. You know, when you're ready, holler at me, because. I'm not converting you. No, no one could convert me. You know, I was so resentful that um, we're given misinformation where where the text says, um, you know, it shouldn't take long. It, where are we getting this message mixed up that we're not in a race against time? If I could get 90 days without abstinence, without, oh, I would not be on this line right now. I would not need you guys because I could fight this booze racket alone. I need every one of you. I need the man that says he got 80 days and he don't know what he's talking about, but he asked I need that guy. I need the guy that got 100 years after him and think they know everything. I need to hear everything Sally A. said yesterday because she kept it official. Yes, I was in Virginia Beach. Yes, I was resentful we didn't have ketchup. Yes, I ordered out and I, I, and I got me some ketchup. Yes. It ain't, you know, I don't care about 30-day chips. I can make a house on the 30-day chips I got. I don't care about that. I got today. I'm receptive. I'm open. I'm, 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 I'm hopeless, but I'm not helpless. I'm hopeless. I'm a hopeless case every day. My, my uh, diabetes numbers was 15.4 three years ago. It's under six right now. But if I take my foot off the gas pedal, I'm going to crash. And with that, I'm out of here. Love you guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Charles H. And Leah M., you're next. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, next day found the prospect more receptive. He had been thinking it over, <laughs> which is a nice way of, of saying that, uh, you know, he realized he was screwed. He was cornered by this illness. I mean, certainly um, he had been hospitalized eight times within six months. Uh, then Bill W. and Dr. Bob, you know, talked about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And that's what, you know, Bill had been instructed to do by uh, Dr. William Silkworth, you know, give them the business, you know, don't put the cart before the horse, you know, and talk about the spiritual uh, program of action, talk about the problem, talk about the obsession of that mind that condemns them to drink, and talk about the physical sensitivity, the allergy of the body that condemns them to continue drinking, uh, to go mad and die if they continue, uh, and turn the screws, create a crisis. Um, and that's exactly what happened here with Bill D. A crisis was created. And, you know, steps one and two are conclusions of the mind. 
Now Bill D. realizes uh, what he's up against, that he has a twofold problem, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. Allergy of the body is a bad problem, uh, but it's not the main problem. The greater aspect of the disease is that mental twist. And the big book says, and Bill D., uh, and Bill W. and Dr. Bob made it clear you cannot apply your will, your intellect, or your wishful thinking to this problem. And certainly that was Bill D.'s experience. That's why the big book teaches we had to fully concede to our innermost selves we were compulsive overeaters. We were alcoholics. That's the first step. The big book doesn't pronounce anyone an alcoholic. It invites people to drink. Think of that. A book that's all written to help people uh, break free from alcoholism actually invites people to drink because it says, if you're not convinced, drink. Drink more than once. And when you're through drinking and when you're through compulsive overeating and when you're convinced, there's a way out. There's a way to live without having to compulsively overeat. There's a way to live without having to drink. But you've got to not drink. You've got to not compulsively overeat to experience this way of life. Not compulsively overeating is the beginning of the recovery process, not the end. So we have to fully concede, and that's what we see in this story. He is coming to the conclusion that he is powerless and that he needs power. Once he knows that the problem is powerlessness, the solution has to be power. It's that simple. Power is the cure for powerlessness. Since he can't, I'm just wrapping up, since he can't do anything about the physical part of his illness, and Bill W. and Dr. Bob made that clear, then the solution must be to find a power that can work on his mind. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, A.M. And we're going to move on to the next paragraph. Would uh, do, I mean, sorry, Deb W., please read the next paragraph. Good morning, Deb W., Holly Tabbert, can you hear me? Uh, yes. In Oklahoma. <clears throat> On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator and said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. His wife came scarcely daring to be hopeful that she thought she saw something different about her husband already. He had begun to have a spiritual uh, experience. Okay, so uh, when I was looking over that while everybody was reading and sharing, I had these thoughts. Okay, on the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator. What does that mean to me? No longer is the first priority that I am understood, that my message was heard, that I got my way, that I am treated with respect. Instead, my prayer is how can I be of service to God and help to other compulsive eaters? Why? Then it says, his wife thought she saw something different about her husband. In spite of all the broken promises, my family still had hope. They watched the signs of a difference in me, a pound or two off. And immediately I hear, Mama, you look like you're losing weight. He had been given a new sense of power and direction. This power and direction has uh, pulled us out of despair in the face of total failure. Their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, a sense of direction flowed into them. He had begun to have a spiritual experiences. 
experience. The consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact in their lives. So faith built on the testimonies of our fellow members is the evidence that it's possible uh, because of the physical change in us, whether it's weight or a more acceptable presence, emotionally balanced, which starts within in the heart and it works itself to the surface where others can see a change and hope it's there to stay. I became more consistent in my behaviors and my actions followed the promises I made. I'm now accountable and it feels so good that somebody really depends on me. Trust me. I don't react. Uh, I'm not an emotional mess most of the time. Instead, it's hardly ever. That they don't see me in a state of emotional unavailable, in a stupor, whether alcoholically induced or sugar induced. It reminds me of my alcoholic father who I loved so very much. And we go to bed together and having a wonderful evening, making plans for us to be together the next morning, followed by the inability to wake him up the next morning and calling him and shaking him. And I can see my 12-year-old self standing there feeling helpless because I'm dressed and ready to go. When morning comes and the kids are up and ready, I wanted to go to bed. I'm not ready to go. Or worse, depression. I remember the hopelessness and the sinking in the pit of my stomach when I woke up and I could tell, oh, oh no, here it is again, depression. Or to be sensitive and moody and, um, you know, easily wanting to go back to bed, wishing at 10 a.m. that I didn't have to show up. What I called a... Uh, a uh, uh, inability, a, a phobia of, of being with a social phobia was really, you know, because of days of uh, isolation and, and the, the disease. So a lot of the times I didn't show up at my kids' games. And, and I, you know, so the long and the short of it is that I have to do these things. I have to have this power, this spiritual experience, so that I can just live day to day life things that some people just take for granted. You know, they just take for granted, but not me. You know, if I don't have this, I'm headed immediately in the direction of the food because I can't stand stable on my own uh, without some aid, and my aid is through the food. And so, you know, this spiritual awakening, this spiritual experience gives me the ability, the power to uh, see in my head what I'd like to do and what I'd like to be and then follow it up, you know. But I have to continue to work this program because if I don't, if I don't continue to work the steps, I find myself right back. Um, it's kind of like, I can't remember exactly how they say it. It's like uh, uh, people who have lost their legs, they can't grow new ones. You know, I can't be what I need to be without this program. And so with that, I pass. Thank you, Deb W. Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice M. Janice M. Lynn S. Lynn S. Priya uh, say it again. Uh, Bria. Bria. Uh, who was after Bria? 
Monica T. Monica T. Okay, we'll start with that. Janice M. and then Lynn S. Well, thank you, Julie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M. And I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, this is the process that I had to go through. And it <laughs> it's just an awesome way that the book is teaching us clear-cut directions. You know, Bill and Bob, they're still in doing a 12-step. They're doing a 12-step call. They're coming to Bill Dobson. You know, they're, they're making, you know, he's drying out in the hospital, which means we got to put our food down. We got to put that substance down in order for us to get clear, clear, clear. Enough for somebody, whether it's, you know, hopefully it's a sponsor, um, a compulsive overeater sponsor that's going to come to me and I'm going to listen. Because I, I, I've been in for years, but I really didn't know the problem. So now that's the first thing I'll do is tell them the problem. But then you see, um, then he starts opening up. This is what the second step is all about. Uh, before we get to the third step, the second step, we have to be willing. We have to open our mind. That's why he says he starts to think. I can't think when I'm under anesthesia. And that's what I think I'm at when I'm, you know, eating my cookies and doing my binge foods. So now, and then, of course, I'm blaming everybody. It's your fault. It's his fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my son's fault. He's got this illness. This is why I eat. So now I'm in the blame, but I'm starting to open my mind. I'm starting to open my mind. But notice, this is the secret. (laughs) Notice that Bill and Bob, Dr. Bob, they're not convincing Bill Dobson. They're not convincing him. They're sharing their recovery. They didn't stay and try to convince Bill D because we can't do it for somebody else. The convincing, like was said, is from the food. I have to be convinced myself, but I still have to know that I can't do it. And I can't depend and rely on the number of meetings I go to or the tools of the program, which are wonderful for support, because it won't do it, you know. And it doesn't take long to start getting a spiritual experience. It doesn't take 90 days. It doesn't take years. All it takes is put the food down, become willing to find some power, if you're powerless, and then make a decision how we get that power. So this is boom, 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 boom. It's not like, okay, 90 days, like was said, or some people, you know, take years or whatever to make that decision to either choose the disease or surrender to a power greater than ourselves. And then I, that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. And Lynn S. followed by Bria. Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovering compulsive reader in Toronto, Canada. This paragraph just makes me uh, reflect on my own experience. And um, while it was a bit different in in that thinking, we all don't really know what they're talking about. I think someone's unmuted. If we could um, hit star one, there's rustling of papers. Go ahead, Lynn S. That that wasn't quite my experience, but I remember coming home from the OA meeting, and, and I'd heard about this, God thing and the spiritual thing and I had no relationship with God but I remember asking God for help that night I remember that so clearly and the next morning I woke up and I 
was in such, what I don't know how to explain it, because I had asked God for help sleeping through the night because I had never been able to sleep through the night without getting up and going to the store and getting binge foods and things like that. And when I woke up and realized I'd slept through the night, I felt like I had been zapped. I'd had, I'd had a spiritual experience, and along with the desire, the food obsession being lifted, also lying, cheating, stealing, littering, and swearing were all lifted at that moment. And it, it was an incredible moment for me, and I know that I had turned my life and my will over to the care and direction of this God, whatever whatever God was. I didn't know what it was, but it, it sure worked for me, and I had a huge spiritual experience. And I'm glad they, they talk about he had begun to have a spiritual experience because I felt that that life in me that wasn't there before. I felt that stirring in me, that, that something in me that, that had never, ever been there before. I hadn't felt before. And the ability to work with that spiritual experience and have something guide me along, along this whole new way of life, this incredible experience, it, um, it really gives me a moment now to sit and pause and reflect on this incredible program and, and what God gives us and, and looking back at the history, what God did for these three men and what he continues to do for the 300 of us on the phone line and the thousands of us that listen to the podcasts. It truly is a miracle. And all he asks of me is this simple program of recovery, to live my life in this simple way, be guided and directed by him. And whenever I hear about step three, it reminds me there's so much more seeking of God's will that I could do. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lynn S. And we'll have Bria and then Monica T. Uh, hi, yeah, Bria Lafitte from Edmonton, Alberta. Um, well, yeah, just like Bill, I'm I'm in the hospital. I am uh, I'm here uh, trying to get sobered up, and um, you know, your mind becoming clear. Uh, getting your mind clear before you, uh, you know, before you're willing. Wow. I just, um, I just had an experience the other day, um, finally getting sober and, um, my sobriety is giving up control, control over the food. And, you know, um, for the longest time I, uh, you know, I kept it with certain foods, my certain binge foods, and I thought that was just my sobriety keeping away from them. But apparently I had to do a lot more uh, soul searching and digging and everything like that, and mine's given up just complete control. And anyways, I uh, I finally gave it up to my dietitian. I said, okay, you choose my menus, da-da-da-da-da. And you know, I've been walking around blaming my mom for my disease for, um, you know, a couple, a couple of years now. She's bulimic. And um, just this, oh, my God, just becoming sober and giving up the control. Um, you know, my disease is screaming at me. It's trying to hold on to me so tight. And uh, during breakfast one morning when I had to eat a piece of French toast and syrup and, oh, my God, biting into them, all these thoughts and these memories were coming back when I'd have 24 pieces and going through bottles of Aunt Jemima syrup and, you know, butter, basil, just everything, just uh, chocolate chips. Just I kept putting other stuff on it. And anyways, um, 
oh my god it was uh unbelievable the, the voices in my head that kept screaming you stupid girl you stupid girl what are you doing what are you doing you're and, and I kept taking a bite and I kept taking another bite and it said you're stupid you're stupid and then it kept going it said you're ugly you're ugly you're fat you're fat and all these voices were screaming at me so fucking loud pardon my French so loud oh yes said, watch Wait. the language sorry uh anyways they kept screaming at me and um wow um I, I finally heard I finally heard these voices that have been in my head for years and years and until I got sober and let go of control I heard them and these voices I've been eating over my whole life my whole life I didn't hear them loud enough because I just keep binging binging eating eating but they finally came out they finally came up and I thought to myself oh my gosh this is what runs through my mother's head she's ugly she's not enough she's fat and then on top of it, she has a daughter blaming her for her disease. And in that moment, I knew and I felt God. And I never had to ask once. I never had to do the resentment prayer once about her. Because I know and I feel her pain. And when I say the sick man time, oh, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Bria. And Monica T., you're going to be our last share. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. And I was just struck this morning here again with the simplicity of his step two and now, to me, his step three. God ought to be able to do anything. Just look how how simple that is. He's not sure. He's not 100% sure about it all. But you know what? I'm screwed. I, I I can't do this. And some power greater than me. Um, there's got to be something. You all are telling me there is. I can see it. Your story was like mine. You're different now. And you say there's a power out there that can help you. And so he says, okay, God ought to be able to do anything. I don't understand this God. I don't have to have it all defined, you know. I didn't. I didn't know. But when I came in, it was like I wanted what you had. You had something. And I had been looking my whole life for it. And on the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator. The care and direction. I don't see the word surrender there. And he said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. There's, you know, there's that willingness to do anything. I just give up. You've got something I want, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Pain has brought me here. And with that, um, he did, and he never drank again. And so I wasn't too sure about all of this stuff. And I just wanted to share that. It's okay. You don't have to have this all figured out. You know, I tried figuring things out. How'd that work for you, Monica? It didn't. So just follow the instructions, Monica. Keep it simple, Monica. And what, and you know, thank God for these simple steps. No, they're not easy, but just keep plugging along. And as a result of doing them, God became um, a, something to me that he never was before. And when I'm in doubt, I pause and I look back over my shoulder. 
And I can never deny that something has been working in my life because I couldn't do it. And so when I'm not too sure, you know, I want to, you know, I want God. I'd love to be able to hear his voice. I'd love a physical hug from him. And sometimes I don't, you know, I don't feel that stuff. But when I pause and look back, something's been there and I can't deny it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. Okay, it is now time to close our meeting. I would like to thank everyone who has shared. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Larry Kay please read a vision? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure, Julie. Thanks for your service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.